everybody, welcome to my podcast, Pension Trends Plus with Atara, bringing you up-to-date information on pension funds, securities class action litigation, and all things related to your portfolio, and some life stuff as well. I am Atara Hirsch-Torsky, securities class action attorney at AFNT in New York City. Today I am here with a very illustrious guest all the way from the UK, George Graham. George joined the South Yorkshire Pension Authority as fund director several years ago. In his role as fund director, George is responsible for the management of all aspects of the authority's activities, which oversee approximately $11 billion in assets. George has a long and respected career in the public pension fund world in the UK, having worked in the public sector his entire career. George graduated from the University of Manchester with a degree in modern history and economics, providing two very different perspectives, both on business and life. Welcome, George, to my podcast. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yes, uh, in, enjoying some sunshine in the north of England, which is not all that, not all that usual, even at this time. <laughs> I was going to say, is that a rarity for this time of year? <laughs> yeah, September can be um, wet. <laughs> wet. <laughs> well, then I'm happy for you because sunshine always makes the day a little bit better, right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm so excited to be speaking with you because I see from your background, you know, you're a very multi-dimensional person. Um, I, I just love the, duxt the juxtaposition of your of your two majors, you know, economics, modern art, history. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, I just think you, you really sound like somebody who, you know, has, has taken um, a kind of a, a trajectory that's sort of you know, on path, you know, economics, pension funds, but then a little bit out there, which just really adds to your 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 interestingness for everybody. Um, and of course, for a great interview. So I want to jump right in. Can you tell me how did your career begin? And and what made you choose these fields? I always say I've I've ended up where I've ended up by accident. When I was coming up to graduation, back in the late 1980s, when um, jobs in the UK weren't necessarily terribly easy to get hold of either even for graduates um all my friends at university were going off to work for the big the big accountancy practices and i desperately didn't want to work for a big accountancy practice because auditing and counting widgets weren't um what i wanted to do with my life and but my, my father randomly found an advert for graduate trainees for Oxfordshire County Council in the paper. So I applied. I got interviewed. I got the job. Um, and sort of considerable number of years later, um, here I am. Um, and, you know, I... I've never regretted um, what what I what I chose to do. It's been frustrating and annoying, and you feel like you're knocking your head against a brick wall. But it's also been immensely satisfying and rewarding. And yeah, now I'm running a big pension fund, and that's great. And you know, I've over the course of my career, I've uh, been involved in um, provide, ensuring that the finances for providing for children with disabilities um, prop properly were, were in place in the council I worked for. I've been involved in some big economic development projects, which uh, will, you know, are 
they're still going on, but you know, over a period of about ten or fifteen years, they'll make an enormous difference to um, communities um, where otherwise stuff wouldn't have happened that needed to happen. And I suppose, in terms of how I think about running the pension fund, it's yes, we have to make sure we have the money to pay pensions when they're due. There's that whole fiduciary thing that we must never, we must never, we must never forget. But alongside that, now and again, we can do a little bit of good with the money that uh, that we have. Yeah, I wonder if what you're saying, I think what I'm hearing from you is that what you are loving most about being director of this fund is that it's actually a meaningful job, which makes for a meaningful existence, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we have 160,000 people who are members uh, of our fund. Clearly, they don't all live in South Yorkshire, but the population of South Yorkshire is is about a million. So about 10% of the population of the county are members of my fund, if you look at it in those terms. And are they teachers? Are they public employees? Just because we're here in the US. The UK public pension system is quite complex. So the fund I run is part of what's called the local government pension scheme. So we provide pensions for workers who worked for local governments, but not for teachers, not for uniformed police officers, not for for firefighters. So the police civilians are members of our scheme and the people in the fire service who don't wear a uniform are uh, members. And the non-teaching staff in schools are members of our scheme, which is where it gets all very complicated. We have about 540 employers currently in the fund, and that's individual schools and sometimes the people, the the companies who provide services for individual schools to a big council like Sheffield City Council, which has many thousand employees. Um, So we, we make a meaningful difference. Most of the members of our scheme are women who worked part-time and were relatively low paid. Our, our, our average pension payout is about £4,000 sterling. Four, four, four Which, and a half what thousand. does that translate into dollars uh, for our uh, US listeners? Uh, um, oh, crikey. Now you're asking. Just I should, approximately. I should, I should look that, that up. Uh, probably about five and a half, six thousand dollars $6,000, something like that. Ah, so a small amount. Yeah, a re- relatively small amount. But when taken with the state pension, yeah, it makes a meaningful addition to the state pension. Uh, and, and the, the, you know, in that sense, we, we play a really important role for, for our scheme members and, and for the, our, our communities. Because most, most you know, yes, people like, like me or the higher earners might, might well retire off to the sun somewhere, but that's very much the minority of our members. Most of our members will continue living in the areas generally where they were born where they've lived all their lives and that money comes back into the community and you know this this is an area with very strong communities it it was the heart of the british mining industry uh and it cut coal, coal mining um and you know if listeners remember the 
the miners' strike of the 1980s. You know, this was the heart of it. And where I, where I'm sitting now in Barnsley, the headquarters of the miners' union was just around the corner. Uh, so it, it's a place with a past and a history. And as a as an organisation, as a pension fund, we and our members are very rooted in that place. And that makes us think about how we act and it influences right um it influences our i'll call them i'll call, I'll call yeah i mean I'll, I'll call call them for this this purpose i'll call them our trustee board they're they're elected they're elected councillors but they they act in they act as a trustee board um so they are very rooted in their communities in the same way so they, they think about well actually should should do our members really think we should be um doing this or that and bizarrely given you know this place was the heart of the british coal mining industry we have a block on investment in pure coal mining companies for climate for for climate change reasons but i was going to ask you about that i was going to ask you has the community changed since coal mining has become less prevalent like how has that taken effect the whole climate issue yeah i mean there 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 isn't a pit left in uh in the county so while you know a number of our trustees are former miners they're not you know there's there's no active active mining going on that's changed massively um so what is what's taken over that industry well there's a whole range of sort of light engineering distribution clearly Mm -hmm. sheffield was was a sheffield and rotherham are major centers of the steel industry and specialist steels and that sort of thing so those things are still there and there's a rapidly developing advanced manufacturing set sector you know we have um, boeing have a plant in sheffield now uh so that's coming back but there are still parts of of the area that are sort of scarred by the decline of the mining industry there's a lot of talk in terms of the, of climate change and so on about the transition the just transition to a low carbon economy this this area was victim to if you like the unjust transition away from coal so our trustee board and our communities are very concerned that actually we do achieve that just transition to a low carbon economy that no one is left behind in that and there's you know within the constraints of our fiduciary duty which you know we, we are focusing on you know, so we've got some investment themes around renewables and um, the the movement away from carbon intensive in industries. So we want to support that, and we've also we you know we also do a, a very small amount of of, of local in, local investment, which is focused on sort of. Uh, funding for regeneration schemes, but it's commercial loan funding. It's not, uh, it, you know, we're, we're not philanthropists. We are, we are investors. Right. You're trying to make money on your returns. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to ju- just jump in and ask us for a moment about the coal. Um, because it was such a coal mining um, area, has the health of the retirees been affected and have you been had to supplement from the national i know you have a national healthcare system but have you had to do any supplementing from the fund end but not not from the fund and we we wouldn't have the scope to do that within the rules of the uh, of the pension scheme but i mean mm-hmm. this this is one of the areas of the country with what 
we, we talk about health inequalities. So, you know, right. people around here will die earlier than the av- than the average across the across the UK in general. Um, the difference isn't as big as it used to be, but it's still quite marked. And that that just you know there there are some some areas. I mean, we're by no means the the worst area um, in the in the country in that respect. Um, and even within the area, there are there are pockets um, that are that have have better outcomes than than others. So so Goldthorpe, which is a or Grimethorpe, where the, the famous um, colliery band comes from, which is just down the road, that will have relatively poor health outcomes. Peniston, which is a lovely Pennine village just up the road from here, will have you know much better health outcomes. It's it, it, it's one of those things, and you you will go to any part of the UK, and you will be able to see something similar. And indeed, you'll go to any part of the states, and you'll see something similar. Economics impacts health. Health impacts economics. Yeah, you know, there's a there, there's a symbiotic. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder has um you know COVID also because it's a it's primarily a, a pulmonary lung um, disease at its at its core. Has that had even more of an impact on your coal mining retirees? Um, we, I mean, we certainly as a fund, we saw in April, May, and early June a significant increase in the number of pensioner deaths and the number of deaths of scheme members generally. Um, that was clearly driven driven by COVID. There was nothing. There was nothing else to that. Right. That, that was was doing that. it. Yeah, that appears to be the case across local government pension funds across the country. There's some work um, going on nationally at the moment to determine whether there are geographical concentrations. I mean, there appears to be um, some slightly higher level of deaths in South Yorkshire than in other areas, but I wouldn't necessarily have said it. That doesn't look as though it was driven by. The, the the coal mining industry you know the relationship back to the coal mining there are other there are other factors that, there are other factors at play um so i think broadly the answer is we don't know but we know that more people died than would have died in an ordinary year and i mean, I mean certainly we saw a particular increase in deaths of, of active scheme members so people who were still contributing to the scheme um, now, okay, the absolute numbers were very small, but in percentage terms, there were there was quite there was quite a large increase. Um, but that isn't something we would we would see with a you know a major a major flu season or something like that. Well, I think what you've what you've already said, which is which is just so wonderful to hear, is I think you um, as the director and your trustees, uh, the board of trustees, it, it seems like you take all of your members and look at them at, not just as you know numbers you know I, we have this many members but really as people with faces and families and that really means that when you're investing and you're working on behalf of them and as fiduciaries it, it makes what you're doing more impactful and it also I wonder how it's impacting your investment strategy so maybe you can tell me a little about that like are you very mindful because you're looking at them so much as people with families and people who live in the community how does that impact how you invest 
And are you investing more locally if you can? Tell me. I mean, we've started investing locally. Previously, we didn't. That will, over time, grow to probably about 2% of the fund, but we wouldn't want to grow local investment any more than that. But coming back to your previous point, yeah, I mean, there is a, there is a strong connection with our scheme members. We, well, until COVID, we, we, we were the we were almost unique in the local government pension scheme in continuing to provide a face-to-face appointment for every scheme member at the point of retirement. Now, they didn't. Thank, thankfully, they didn't all take up the opportunity because otherwise, I'd have had to have an awful lot more staff than I've got. But um, right, right, a significant, a very significant proportion did, um, and we have that connection. We have uh, an annual fund meeting where we get, yeah. A surprising number of members. I've 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 run these in 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 other funds, um, and the attendance has been paltry. Um, we, we we get a significant attendance, and we we also stream it on YouTube and things like that, so more people can get involved. But we get a lot of reaction to that. We get a lot of um, correspondence from from members about all sorts of issues. Some's about um, you know invest investment issues why are you investing in oil companies or whatever (laughs) that you know all pension fund managers get that and we should um but some of it is more about you know other issues it sounds like you've built somewhat of a community yeah and the organization i run is a unique organization uh in the local government pension scheme we are an organization in our own right all the other local government pension funds are a part of a council. And that means that there's a wider organizational focus on all the things a council does. And you can't quarrel that. So we're only focused on running a pension fund. So we, we are really focused on our scheme members. And a strong relationship with our scheme members is crucial to us making sure that we're actually doing what we're meant to be doing. You know, are we giving them the type of service they want when they're retiring and adult? So you work like what I would I would call it, you work in a very narrow and deep capacity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a very, very, very focused. And it's important for us that we have a, we have a set of organizational values, which I suppose reflect the community that we serve and the place where we where we exist and in terms of our investment we try we don't always succeed i'll be the first to admit that but we try to reflect those values in our in our investment and those values are linked to the sort of values that our scheme members have and so is that with respect to certain companies that you would investment invest in do you like choose companies based on um, ideology, not just you know. Uh, we and and we we don't we used to, but we don't now directly invest ourselves anyway. We invest through fund managers. The 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 British government has um, directed that the local government pension funds should operate through um, a series of investment pools. So we, together with ten other pension funds, we participate in a in a pool. Um, that manages currently most, but ultimate, ultimately all our of our investments. So that's a transition process at the moment. It's about for for us. It's about how we dictate our responsible investment policy, with notable exceptions around you know um, pure coal companies and so on. We don't exclude, but we want to engage. We actively engage. We actively support engagement with companies to ensure that they behave in the way we would want them to behave and that's 
be behaving towards the environment, towards their workers, and to and towards society more generally. So it's more it's more of a corporate governance that you're looking at. How are they conducting themselves? Yeah, you know, there is a there is an ongoing debate about certain types of company and whether that approach has run its course. Um, and that debate will continue well beyond my retirement. It'll conclude in, certain, in, <laughs> in, in terms of certain types of company, you know, in the next couple of years, I would think we'll see big moves in, in terms of certain types of company. Beyond that, it'll, you know, there'll, there'll be well, other what types of What do you think? I'm curious as to your um, projection. What do you think the wave is for, for your fund? As far as investment, uh, in terms of you know, how's it going to go going forward? Oh. Um, well, we came out of we had a valuation in 2019. Now, now for um, USDB schemes, um, what I'm going to say will will result in a lot of jealousy. However, one of my independent advisors um, used used to be the CIO of um, one of the Chicago public sector schemes, and her her funding level was significantly less than. Uh, less than a number beginning with five we we um came out our 2019 valuation very close to 100 percent. i just couldn't get the actuary to round it up wow well that is i can say as a securities litigation attorney here in in the u.s that is highly unusual and amazing yeah so um clearly last march the world went to hell in a handcart and uh the bottom dropped out of the market so you know April 19 to March 20, we lost about 3%. We've more than recovered that. Um, and, you know, at, at, the, at the time of... Uh, at the time of speaking, we're sort of up, up 3 or 4% on our... on um, So we, we've recovered and we're then up 3 or 4% on the recovered position. So it's... There's all sorts of reasons why that's that may or may not be something that that we manage to keep. Although the strategy is looking at a degree of de-risking, clearly. Um, so we've we've been taking money out of equities and putting it into um, infrastructure and credit and things like that that are less volatile and more income generating because the fund is the membership is becoming more and more mature. So we need more and more income. Right, you're not getting as much contributions. What percentage would you say of your portfolio is in equities? At the moment, just shy of 50%, but that will come down. What about real estate? I'm curious, is that, has that been a switchover for you? Uh, we've, we've got about 10% in real estate at the moment. This strategy review, we're not increasing that. The reason for that is that um, most of our real estate is UK commercial real estate and the market... Um, actually deploying capital into the market is incredibly slow. So we've got an allocation of 10%. We're about, we're close to 2% underweight, um, which is just because we can't deploy capital um, and, and make money, which is really, really annoying because real estate is the thing that just sits there and throws off the rental stream. Um, so we would have liked to have increased the allocation there. Um, but, we wouldn't have been able to deploy the capital. So it was a pointless exercise. It's interesting though, because in the US right now, what we're finding is, you know, certainly commercial real estates are in the cities are, are really tanking in a way they, they haven't since 
even 9-11 wasn't like this. So I'm curious if you have the same thing. Yeah, I mean, in, in valuation terms, we've we've certainly seen quite significant write-downs in valuation. Now, our portfolio is biased towards things that are a bit more um, sort of evergreen. Um, so we get quite a lot of um, logistics and industrial property rather than offices and retail. And we some of the re- we do have have retail. We've got some retail that's probably not going to survive as retail. But we've also got uh, some retail. You know, is it's going to be there? So we've got some big supermarkets, for example. So so um, the UK. We've got a couple of stores that are operated by the UK equivalent of Walmart. You know, they're not they're not going to close. They're not going to be affected by the decline of the high street. We're relatively well insulated, and I've actually been surprised in the um, the June quarterly valuations for the property portfolio. We actually saw some recovery in some assets. Now, some some continue to to go down, and I I would generally be expected those ones to continue to go down. But we have we have seen some recovery. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's it's quite a mixed picture, but I mean we we some of some of what's happening is the acceleration of trends that were there already. Eighteen months ago, we were talking to the valuers about the decline in retail values and the sustainability. That's, well, they say that in, in, about COVID generally. What it's done is anything that was somewhat of an issue has just been magnified, whether that's in your personal life or your professional life or in investments. Things that were about to happen just seems to have happened on a greater scale much faster. Um, I wanted to ask you about the position of the fund on, on litigation because, you know, I am a securities litigation attorney. and. I know the climate in the U.S., we used to also be somewhat averse, you know, to litigation and in, in respect to recovering losses. Um, but that's changed considerably, I would say, over the last several years. And I'm wondering um, if it's changing for you, if it, if it has changed, like what, do you, what is the fund's position on litigation to recover lost monies? We've used, certainly in the U.S., we've been part of, um, you know, class actions and things in the past and we're um, we're a sort of historic participant in um in some litigation uh against a, an oil company in the US um the the opportunities in in the UK for for that sort of thing are are much less although although um clearly we participated in the RBS following the global financial crisis there was a an action against RBS and that did um, that was more akin to what you would see in the US in terms of a securities class action and and quite rightly and the, the, we have a duty to make sure that um, our scheme members money is protected and you know if there is evidence that people have been behaving wrongly with our scheme members money we will do everything we can to get it back now there's a there's a risk reward balance that you've got to strike and you know it's much easier in the in the system in the us for someone like us to sit back and let others take the lead and all the risk and then and then reap the reward um in the uk you've you've got to be in it to win it in a way and i think rbs was the one where quite a number of pension funds like ours decided that the behavior was so egregious that we had no alternative but to uh but to, but but to sign up and i think that's that's probably been helpful longer term in encouraging company boards to think more 
about what they do. Well, yes, I think I think that's exactly right. I think um, what you're saying and and what we what we see is that when there is a, a culture of um, institutional clients like yourselves who are big players in the market with larger positions, when they come forward and say, you know, we think this conduct is so egregious, we're going to take a stand, that some, it doesn't happen quickly, it happens slowly, but over time, the whole landscape of your portfolio is going to change based on the fact that uh, companies are just going to buy, just because of what's been going on with litigation, they're going to have to act differently. Um, is that what you found when you litigated? Yeah, I mean, we we do we do see change, and I think, it, but it's it, it also comes back to our in, our engagement approach. You know, we we're engaging on a lot of the these issues anyway. You know, so we 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 can see a place for share buybacks, but we don't we we think they can be abused and and overused. For example, and the way they relate to executive remuneration and bonus packages is an issue so you know we can see change in behavior and boards are thinking more before they do this and they're actually talking to shareholders more about their about what they're doing and i think there's a growing recognition among good company boards that Actually, it's the shareholders who own the company, not the management. Right. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, economics one hundred and one. You know, but it that that is uh, an an important realization, and that the accountability to shareholders is is changing, and I I, th I think pat particularly seeing it in um, the UK and Europe, um, I think the position in the US is more varied um i think individual companies doing the right things i think the the environment yeah i think the whole culture is, is swinging the culture is just swinging and that that means everyone is starting to realize yeah but you, uh, if they want to make money <laughs> they have to start doing the right thing yeah but you see, you see things like the sec clamping down on shareholder initiatives and things which is perhaps unhelpful in 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 getting in getting this across but you know those those things will, will work their way out and the you know they're a fun they're a function of a political cycle at a point in time you know and similar things have happened in in the in the uk and europe uh, you know where the political cycle has been at a particular a particular place right and things are always are always cyclical and changing and i'm wondering with with respect to covid like what has have you seen most impacted in in the last several months like in your portfolio because of covid what can you point to in in our portfolio specifically because of covid i think, I think the in terms of valuations um the property portfolio and private debt and private equity took a hit in in march the private debt and private equity have pretty much all come back and that there is an issue about valuation techniques and from my point of view in terms of someone who's responsible for producing a set of accounts auditors not understanding valuation but don't get me started on the question of auditors I'll, i i i i could bore for britain on uh, the, the on auditors so, so we won't but i, I mean the, just in purely in asset class terms those are the ones that that have taken a hit 
as I say, the private assets have have come back because the reality of the situation has been has not been what you know what what was feared in in some cases. I think I think there there is in private debt. There's probably there's probably some nasty stuff that's that's left to come out, but my guess is that's probably small parts of individual portfolio individual individual funds so it's not it's not going to affect it overall in such an impactful way yeah it's not going to it's not going to have that big thing now i think i think i think the issue with covid is how long does it actually go on uh, and is what we're seeing in europe now in terms of a whether it's a second wave or another spike or whatever you want to call it whether that puts the brake on the economic recovery and whether we have to start closing down parts of the economy again i think if if that starts happening then we've got a very different picture and we need to think quite differently about how we would position parts of the portfolio um and also whether we whether we could actually find assets that we could move into um because there's you know there are parts of the equity portfolio that you know would would cease to be places where you would want to be you want to be and what about contributions do do have they changed i mean our employers pay on average 16% of pay as their as their primary contribution i mean we've got some individual as I said, we got over 500 employers. We got some individual employers who still have deficits, and they're paying deficit contributions as well. But I think deficit contributions are a bit. It's not enough to impact. Yeah. So I mean, I am anticipating that to maintain steady state next valuation, which is 2022, we might see an increase in contributions, um, but it won't be the types of increase we've had to see in previous valuation cycles because um you know we've 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 maintained the funding level but if we're going to do that we we are going to have to see this i mean we we're our average employer contribution is slightly below um what you would expect given the nature of the benefits we're providing and the sort of benchmark um contribution rate so we we'd expect some movement upwards i think a lot of it will depend on what the actuaries think about future returns. Um, yeah, the last three valuation cycles, the the actuaries have been saying, "Oh, future returns are going down. They're going down. They're going down." And every time they've reduced the discount rate, and you know, funds have actually shot the lights out in terms of performance. This this feels like it might be different this feels like the actuaries might actually be right for once <laughs> so we'll have to see <laughs> loath as i am to say that you know ne- ne- right. never 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 give never give an actuary credit for anything but i think that there does feel something different about this it's it's going to be it's going to be hard work to generate return in the, in, in this environment and you know, we'll all have to work yeah, hard. And, and like you said, you'll have to see where we're going with COVID because that's certainly going to take another turn and that's going to impact things further. That's right. 
I see, I noticed that you are in your office. So how has your staff been impacted? Is everybody working remotely or 50-50? Like what's going on with that? Back in March when we had the lockdown in the UK, we moved everybody to working from home. Um, we had a couple of people coming in to do things like deal with the post and um, backup backups for the, the servers and things like that. Um, last week, we moved to having um, a third of the staff in Monday to Wednesday and another third in Thursday and Friday um, in bubbles. If someone gets in, infected in one of those bubbles, we're not sort of losing, potentially losing everybody. Um, so, And how many people are in, in a bubble, would you say? 30. 30, oh, okay. So, uh, and we've still got about, a we got about a third of the workforce. We can only use a third of the desks and maintain social distancing. And everyone's masked, even in that bubble? Not in the office, no. Um, the, the, the guidelines say we don't need to do that. And it's a, it's a fair, you, know, you can probably see on, yeah, on, it's on the screen. Large space. Yeah, yeah, it's a fa fairly large and, and open space and it's, it's well ventilated. So it, it, the, the, the advice is that we don't, we don't need to wear masks inside, but clearly, you know, the, we have rules over here about, um, you know, you wear masks on public transport, you wear masks in, right, in any enclosed public space. So all, all of that sort of thing, um, you know, people have to do. And yeah, are your children, do you have school age children? Are no, thankfully, mo I, I didn't have to do home education, which is one, one of the great reliefs. Oh, you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it was, uh, that, that was one, one of the things that this happened a few years ago, it would have been, it would have been absolute torture. It would have been bad. But what about the county though? Like, are they, have they opened schools? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, all, all of the schools have opened. I mean, clearly there are, um, then issues, but there are arrangements to sort of maintain distancing within the schools and to reduce the amount of contact between kids so that the infection then doesn't run right, run riot within that group. Um, but you know, the, these, Certainly a challenge. yeah, these, these things are not quite what you expected when you, uh, when, when you sort of came into the, this business, I didn't ever think I would be talking about, you know, infection control measures and, and all that sort of thing when I was running a pension fund. Well, that's what makes your job so interesting. I mean, this is the bad part of it, but what's interesting is all the unexpected things that come up because you're just functioning, it's life. Yeah, that's right. I, and we, you know, we, we're... It's a microcosm for what's going on in the world is what you're doing. Yeah, we, we, we've got about, as I said, so we've got about a third of the staff who, who are not coming in at all at the moment, a proportion of whom are... Um, you know, vulnerable for particular reasons. So we've, um, you know, so they might have compromised immune systems or something. So, um, you know, we've said they are staying at home to work until at least at least next calendar year, probably beyond that. Um, but but it, I mean, it, it seems getting some people back in the office has been a has been. I think good for people and it's, it's certainly good for the organization in terms of our ability to improve, you know, maintain productivity, but it's not, you know, but, but actually being able to see people other than through a screen. Camaraderie, would you say? Is that, is that like the ability to, to speak with one another and bounce ideas? Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. not yeah. talking to people through a screen, actually talking to someone's face. Yes, same thing. I mean, I say like that's why, you know, I do have school-age children, getting them back into school 
even in pods of you know 10 or 15 was just so important because they can't do what they can do in person on zoom they just can't there's there's no there's no you know i i have a few friends who had homeschooled prior to this and i always had so much respect for them i was like wow it's really hard to homeschool and you know now i'm just like it is hard to homeschool but i I, I don't judge anyone for any decisions that they make, but I want everyone to think about the social navigation piece that cannot be replicated anywhere but in the school system. Yeah. That's right. Human beings are, are social animals, and we we, we need that that contact. And uh, and I mean, I mean, we we have to have trustee board meetings and things um, virtually, and you cannot get the same quality of debate and quality of interaction that you get as you would have done. Now, hopefully we've taken steps which compensate, which means that the decision-making process is as robust as it ever was. But, you know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be doing things like this, but we don't live in an ideal world. Listen, we're fortunate that we have the technology to, to still be functioning as a society, but nothing replicates in person, that's for sure. So I don't wanna let you go without talking a little bit about you know your other interests, and I'm, I'm very interested in, in the liberal arts part of you, <laughs> um, the art history major. Just tell me about that and you know. It's, it's modern history, not art history. So it's- okay. uh, uh, even better. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to do with history is is what what's what's interesting to me is that you know I sometimes think of people as broken up into um, the math science business brain right and then the liberal arts brain so when I meet people that are crossing both lines and have such a strong interest in both that you would major in them <laughs> um, I always find that fascinating yeah I, I mean I, I think. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not the math side. It, I mean, when I did the sort of um, exams at age sixteen, they were called uh, they were called O levels. It was a miracle to my mother, who is a maths teacher, that I I passed maths. I got a good pass in maths as I well. I totally <laughs> understand. I'm right there with you, George. <laughs> um, I think. I, I mean, for, for me, it's about a lot. A lot of this is about the you. You understand what happens now from what happens in the past and we can learn from that and there's that that narrative and i think i mean i, I specialized when when i was at university in you know i suppose particularly niche areas but um it was at the time it was very modern history so my dissertation was on the economic relationship between zambia and southern Rhodesia during the period of UDI. So, so that was before Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. Well, that was in the, well, I graduated in 1986. So Zimbabwe became independent in the early 80s. So that was, that was very recent history, really. That was modern history. Yeah, at the time. yeah that, well, it, 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 <laughs> you know, some people would have said it was current affairs. Uh, it was current. So, so I, I think it is that, but you know, you can't separate economics from society, and you know, economies are made up of people. All those, all those big numbers, and those things on the Bloomberg screens that people are look, looking at are the results of either the efforts of people or the way people have interacted and the decisions people have made. And 
the studies of societies and people and how those have moved over time, which is history, is what allows you to actually make a guess because it can only ever be a guess of what will happen going forward. And, you know, you can see and understand trends and then ex extrapolate those forward. And, you know, the, the part technological advance is part of it is is a key part of that and is a key part of history and understanding technological advance but, uh, but i mean i mean what got me interested in history though was was stories you know it's all it's all you teach if you teach history right at school there's a lot of good blood and guts <laughs> it's good stories that 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 engage people yes because um you know fact is stranger than fiction and it's just always so fascinating to see that. Yeah, that's right. I think you're. I think you're right. Do you find you're doing more uh, number crunching though than you would like? I try and avoid it. I mean, I I ended up with an. You try to delegate. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up with an accountancy qualification, but I've, and I, I was I was actually quite a good technical accountant uh, for for a while, but uh, I've. Uh, I've I've moved on to um, things. I, I I do the big picture stuff, and I let other people do the numbers. <laughs> yeah. No, I I totally I come from that same mindset. I I you know my parents always um, said to me, you know, don't go into anything math or science related because that was just not where my strength lied. And I I think as a lawyer, it's this it's for me the same thing. It's I'm very big picture oriented, so I appreciate that you say that. Um, but I, I also love how you said you know the history actually and economics are more closely related than I think people realize um, at first glance because we're constantly learning about the economy from the cycles that we've been through and that we can really see a trajectory of what's going to happen based on what's happened in the past. So I think that's very interesting. And um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. We, I have learned so much. I'm sure my audience will as well. So thank you for coming on. I hope you all stay safe and healthy in your county, in the UK, and everywhere. And I, I really appreciate speaking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care.